0: Just a word of uh, the introduction to the introduction. This is going to be a hard text. Uh, You may think, yep, pastor, we opened it up middle of the week and I was wondering how you were going to deal with this. It's a hard text because what seems to be on the surface, the main purpose of this text, it it actually isn't. Um, What is... The thrust here and the reason why it's going to be hard for us is because we are human fallen creatures in the year 2022 in a postmodern context where we are so anti authoritarian that any form of governance or rules or stipulations seem as oppressive to us. We don't like to be corrected, we don't like to be called to obedience. Unless you're just sitting in the pew and you're like, I don't know, I kind of like rules. So maybe we err on one side or the other, the rebellious, don't give me rules, man. Or maybe you say, could you give me some more rules so that I could keep them and earn my status? We, we could err on one of those two things. And if you're sitting there, I think that is one or the other is where you sit today. And so we must ask ourselves, will we be obedient to the commands of God? And may we be reminded that it's not just a worldly authority that gives us commands, it is, as we'll see in the text, God Almighty. So as we look to this text, the main theme and the title of the sermon is covenant Obedience. Covenant obedience. I want to, as we go, be able to talk about the text and the original context and setting in which it's in, and then to be able to transition into, in light of what has happened from that point to now, what covenantal obedience are we required? Okay? Because praise be to God, the chapter in Leviticus where shellfish are forbidden has been superseded in Acts chapter 9, I believe, or 10. But there is a covenantal obedience that we are still obligated to. And I think we will see that this morning. So covenant obedience covenant obedience. We just came off of Genesis chapter 16 and obviously 15 preceding that, where Abram and Sarai have taken into their own hands what they anticipate as God's not going to give us what he says he's going to give us. And that might be a critical statement because our brother Paul in Romans chapter 4 says that Abraham does not waver in his faith. So while we see in verse 20 where Abraham <laughs> bows his face in laughter, Paul says he did not waver in faith. So where Abram and Sarai have taken into their own hands this uh, Predicament to raise up for themselves a seed who will cause them to be a great people and nation promised in Genesis 12, reminded in Genesis 15, they mess it all up. And so in the middle of this text, you have this reminder for now Abraham and later his wife Sarah that no, this seed will come by Abraham through Sarah, and it is to him will this everlasting covenant be established. But there is a stipulation here that when God speaks into this situation, into this narrative, as he always does, there is a command. There is a command to obey. This is different than what we've seen in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 15, where the promises are made there were really no covenantal obligations. There was no obedience necessarily other than the fact that when Abram was called by God out of the land of Ur, he says, go. <laughs> go where? I'll show you. With what? Nothing. Go. But these covenantal uh, blessings that God has shown, that Yahweh has shown in chapters 12 and 15, are now given this responsibility of obedience through this covenant sign of circumcision. Now, I don't know if you feel like Genesis 17 is all about circumcision. It's not. Now, if a more wise person comes along and says something. What do we do? We take it to Scripture and we look at that, but we remember other signs of covenants, namely the covenant that God makes with Noah after the flood. What was the sign of God's covenant that he would never again flood the earth? It was the rainbow. But what is a sign? It is something that points to something else. Our 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 brother in our local congregation, Paul, is going to Florida. He's not going to Orlando. But if we were to focus all of our attention and focus on a sign, it would be as if we go to Orlando and we see this massive crowd out in front of Disney. And you pull out of your car and you're like, "This, this must be it. Let's go and see what, you're, what, what they're doing. What's the hullabaloo about? And you go up and you see, and all they're doing is they're huddling around the sign that says Disney ahead. <laughs> Guys, that is not the point. The point is what comes from the sign. The sign is a reminder of what God is doing. And so in this obedience being required, God then shows at the end of this text that Abraham does obey. And this sign does have significance. It is individual, it is personal, it is able to, as the end of this text will say, it's accomplishable by their own ability. Yet in light of church history, in light of how the canon unfolds, there is a greater circumcision that is needed that even enables our obedience. Because a reminder throughout Scripture is that while circumcision was continued to be practiced, it was a huge marker of the people of God to make them different. I don't think there's any surprise whatsoever that while in chapter 16, this common practice of marrying other wives, when God has said the two will be one flesh, one wife, one husband, one flesh, that as Abram takes Hagar to be his second wife, there is now an obedience to the commands of God and a marking out of who God's people would be. For both Abraham and his offspring, God would be their God. What a remarkable thought that Abraham's offspring would be his God and Lord. It's similar to how King David reflects on these same truths. That the king who would come, who would sit on his everlasting throne, would be both his God and king. Because the lineage of Abraham continues by faith, this seed of the woman to strike down the seed of the serpent from Genesis 3.15 continues through Abraham, through his child Isaac, to Jacob, then Israel, his people, and on and on and on we go. But I want us to focus on this obedience as we've looked at these texts, to focus on this obedience that is commanded in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. The Hebrew is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless so that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God himself makes the stipulation, you must walk blamelessly before me. This is that fun dichotomy, right? If we speak too much about the law and obedience, we are legalists. If we speak too much about grace and love, we are freedom fighters. We are theological tree huggers if we do things like that. This is not something that's new to us. James and the Apostle Paul write uh, in what seemingly is conflict, but it's not. This relationship between uh, obedience or works and faith. And it is similar here in that Paul, the Apostle, writes in Romans chapter 4 in context of this specific thing. Was Abram made righteous through Obedience. Obedience to the command to circumcise those in his home, those who he's purchased, anyone over his roof. Those would be those under this covenant. Was it that that made Abram righteous? The rhetorical answer is no. It was not Abram's righteousness for we have seen in previous chapters in chapter 15 verse 6 what was it that made abram righteous he believed god so how is a person made righteous by faith how is a person in the old testament made righteous by faith how is a person made righteous today by faith in the promises of God, and for us who now have seen the unfolding of revelation in Jesus Christ, it is by faith in Him that we are made righteous. So while this circumcision that God gives to Abram, it is a greater circumcision that will come. For Moses writes towards the end of the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy chapter 30, that there is a circumcision of the heart. For the obedience that is commanded in chapter 17 of Genesis cannot be kept. That there will be times in Israel's history where they fall off the way and worship idols, worship other gods, and don't obey this command to be circumcised. This obedience, there's something greater here. There is obedience that is required that cannot be adhered to. As one commentator says, this makes this text really messy. Did Abram sin? Yes. Did Abraham sin? Yes. Did Abram believe God? Yes. Did Abraham believe God? Yes. It was counted to him as righteous, that in that belief in Genesis 15, verse 6, there is an understanding, even if it were just a minuscule uh, bit, that there would be a seed who would come and obey the, the commands of God. Right. This is why it's so difficult. If it's difficult to hear, uh, it's difficult to preach, because there is no law. Moses hasn't been given the law on Mount Sinai to give to his people. And what we have is what God reveals to Abraham. So they are responsible for what they have heard. And Abraham does then follow in obedience. That it is obedience in faith that is being asked of us. It is the same obedience that Abraham is asked to as well. But as James writes, there is this relationship between faith and works. Works do not save us, but works accompany saving faith. So what is the reminder? As Paul tells us in Galatians, that should we then who have been made new in Christ continue to sin? He's paid for it. What's his response? Absolutely not. We should not, who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, continue in sin. But rather, we should, those who have been made dead in Christ and then raised to life in Him, walk as He walked. As Jesus reminds His disciples in John 15, that those who love me keep my commands got a lot of young parents in here a lot of parents of older adults that probably could could sympathize with this as well obedience is hard to beat into your i mean to get your <laughs> children to adhere to David, we can stop the live stream now. I think we just got kicked off. Obedience is impossible for us to manipulate in our own kids. So as I have been worked up and read and angry, as I try and get my children, you know which one I'm talking about, to obey, I find myself grasping at air. And then you have to come back around to these commands that we give you are for your good. And because we love you, this command for this physical sign is to mark out from this point forward the people of God from all other nations, that they wouldn't worship the gods of Baal or the gods of Canaan or any of these things, but that they would worship El Shaddai. The God who has covenanted Himself with them. That this obedience that is required is also accomplished through God Himself. This faith that Abraham has that is seen in the future... It has been secured in the fact that God has ratified His covenant by walking in the middle of the cut into pieces saying, I will uphold both sides of this covenant. That while there are things that God's people must physically do, walk as people of the light, obey, go into the land, we see towards the end of Exodus. We see commands for action to not save, but to show, in fact, that the God whom has called them, God Almighty, is worth it. and He is worthy to be trusted. That in the midst of these things, God knows best. And it is in Christ that we see this obedience to the law perfectly enacted. You see, Genesis 17 is certainly not the first time where God has commanded obedience. It was right at the beginning of our time in Genesis chapter one, when God makes man and woman, he gives commands to be fruitful and multiply, uh, have dominion over the earth and subdue it. His goal is to rule and reign that on the earth that God created, his creatures made in his image would worship him and that the garden would expand with worshipers of his Name. He then gives this obligation. You can eat everything here except for that. But you got all this. But don't eat that. And this covenantal obligation, this command was broken when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and the curse that brought. Uh, or the curse that was brought in response to that was fitting in that, as R.C. Sproul has said, it wasn't just a breaking of one rule in a nursery or on the football field. No, it was cosmic treason. The God who just breathed life into them, formed them from the dust, and then the rib of the man, they committed cosmic treason against him the obedience that was commanded was met with disobedience and it did not end well that in the midst of this disobedience we then have what theologians call this this doctrine of imputation That is a fancy word to say that what was of someone's has been transferred and placed on you. In this disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we have this imputation, the transfer of Adam's sin on all of us. and We saw very quickly afterward the the spiral and the effect of the rotting roots of sinful hearts. So in this first Adam, in his disobedience, we have been imputed with Adam's sin. His sin has been transferred to us, to all who follow in his footsteps. But when God sends his son, Jesus Christ, and gives him commands, he keeps them perfectly the active obedience of Jesus is that He keeps the law. He keeps the law of circumcision. He keeps the law perfectly in accordance to the Father. He keeps it to the T, yet He was crucified, taken before the Rulers and governors to a mock trial and is crucified on the cross. And that in his dying, our sin is laid on him. What has been imputed, has been transferred from Adam to us, has now been, for those who place their faith in him, has now been placed on him. For the curse of sin is now transferred. The debt has been paid. It's been nailed to the cross. And in his rising from the grave and ascending to the throne, what was transferred to us in Adam's sin and placed on Christ, we now get another transfer. But in a positive light. Christ's perfect, active obedience is then transferred on us. I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that in Christ we become his righteousness we become all of these things that that doesn't happen by us it is an alien it is outside of us it has been transferred to us by Christ that while this obedience of Abraham is accomplishable, it's personal, it's individual. The obedience of keeping the law perfectly is not accomplishable by our own means. It is only through the active obedience of Christ that for those who place their faith in Him would it be counted to them as righteousness. What an amazing Reality That the transfer of sin from our first father, Adam, is able to be placed on Christ. That in and of itself is amazing. But to know that not only that, the one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God transfers that righteousness to us. That we can live to God. So this covenant sign of circumcision with the foundation laid of the call to obedience is to show this people and this place. It's to uh, reimagine what the garden would be. For what are the promises of this covenant that we've seen in chapter 12 and 15 and now again in 17? That there would be a people made by the offspring of Abraham and Sarah, that there would be a nation. The promise to Sarah then is that there would be kings that would come from her. What do all of those things mean? That there is an authority that has been transferred to God's people. His image bears that by our obedience to the law, to His commands, people around us would see that God is worth Are all. Now remember, if we adhere to the law, we're immediately legalists. And if we adhere only to grace, what is the term for that? Well, I'm not going to say antinomian from the pulpit. (laughs) I've already said I beat my kids. Um, (laughs) We are legalists or we are lawless. but it is in Christ that those things are held together. So what does it look like for us to then be obedient in our day? Let's just first say that obedience to anything in our day comes as a, what? what's wrong with you? We've got teachers in our church. We've got teachers. mothers in our church we've got fathers in our church we've got so many that when obedience is met or when when commands are met with obedience you kind of like okay what's going on what's what's happening here the obedience that christ gives us in the law in making us new through this new heart this new circumcision we still have no means to obey So we may find ourselves in this continued ritual of, man, I really, I want to glorify Christ in everything that I am. And like the Apostle Paul, we say the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do are the things that I do. What's wrong with me? A wretched man that I am. We have both been given the circumcision of a new heart in this new covenant that has been secured through the sacrificial death of Christ. And we have then been given a seal. Just like this covenant sign of circumcision, we too receive a seal. It's not physical. It's not visible. It's not just individual. It is spiritual. It is the sealed promise of the Holy Spirit, that in that spirit, as the prophet Jeremiah says, that the law of God will be applied on our hearts, that while we may still continue to sin, and we will, the Spirit of God continues to speak into our hearts that we are children of God, so that when we disobey When we don't keep the law of God perfectly, we are both comforted with a reminder of who Christ is as the perfect righteousness, the perfect obedient one, and at the same time are enabled and equipped with strength to continue on. So we don't come to the end of ourselves And that, oh, Paul doesn't stop the fight when he says, what wretched man I am, he keeps going. We are able to apply those truths of Christ's death on our behalf and allow the Spirit to speak into, to empower us, to fill us up. To what? To walk. Brothers and sisters, whether you're a new believer or have been a believer for 20 years, we still need to learn to walk continuously throughout the New Testament, we were reminded to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. What is that? It's a reminder to obedience. To a reminder of a different way where we step off in disobedience and mirror our first parents, Adam and Eve, we are told now to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. To walk in the obedience of Christ. Through his example and by his spirit, we are enabled to do this. And while we will not be perfect, I don't believe in perfectionism in a spiritual sense. We are awaiting glory for that day where the things that are wrong with us in a physical sense and a spiritual sense will be made completely new. We can continue to pursue these things just like Abraham and Sarah. Now you may be thinking you've gotten a long way through and you haven't even talked about at the beginning of our time with Abram and Sarai, you were struggling to to be able to talk about their names. And now the Lord himself, through his word, has given you an opportunity to correct it and that Abraham is the new name and Sarah is the new name. Let's talk about new names. I don't know a lot about the etymology of these names. I don't know what their spiritual significance is. Is In light of these things, I think there are continued reminders that God has changed Abraham and Sarah. From the time that he brought them out of the land of Ur to now, 99-year-old Abraham, 80-something-year-old Sarah. God has changed them and wants to signify that with a physical sign. We don't see that happening. So in in current times, you don't need to go and change your name. Oh, I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. I'm going to change my name. This isn't the witness protection program. You don't need a new name. You need a new nature. So if you are continuing to sin, if you are continuing to walk more in disobedience than obedience, you don't need a new name. You don't need a physical sign to help spur you on to these other things. You need a new nature. As Paul reminds us in one of the letters to the church at Corinth, we have in Christ been made new. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is true for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. So may you be encouraged that while you and I continue to disobey, sometimes willfully and sometimes seemingly as if the strength of the whole world is pulling us towards sin, may you look to Jesus, the one who has obeyed perfectly and has transferred that righteousness to you if you've trusted in faith. And secondly, may you pray that the Spirit would continue to fill you up to do that. Why? Because the same very reason that God has now called Abraham and called the people of God to show by this covenant sign what God is like in the watching world. May you center everything about you on the obedience of Christ. May you not walk away from here saying, my pastor said righteousness comes by works but that you would all the more recognize that your righteousness comes by faith. Somebody did have to work for your righteousness, and it's not you. It was Jesus Christ. Drill deep into those truths that it is by faith, and faith alone in Christ, and Christ alone. And oh, what a grace that that is that we would not boast. And secondly, that you would pray to the Spirit who now has sealed you until the day that you will take possession of your inheritance. May you pray that He would fill you up to live and walk in obedience as you are reminded of the God who has called you out, who from before the beginning of the world has chosen this means, that by faith in Christ, we would be saved and would worship Him in spirit and in truth. What an amazing reality of our triune God. That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are active in our obedience and in our display of His glory. So that through the church, those redeemed believers, so that through them, the wisdom of God would be known to the world. Let's be obedient, trusting in the obedience of Christ for our righteousness this week. Let's pray.